ladies, do I have a special treat for you today. My new friend, Tara Garrity, has written a book called Making Cancer Fun because her daughter is a cancer survivor. And I thought, what better person to ask, how do you keep life positive when it just doesn't feel like it right now? And that can be for so many people in this time. And yeah, we're not all going through cancer or anything that big, but sometimes it feels like it. I mean, all disease or negativity or whatever, negativity can be a disease, you know? And so what she has to share with us, some super fiery God stuff, it's so great. This is part one of two parts because we had an amazing conversation. I hope this blesses you. Like, actually, this blessed me. There's no way it's not going to bless you guys. You guys are going to love this. It is jam-packed with ideas, parenting tips, um, how to talk about God in our workspace. That actually might be in part two. But anyways, you guys are just going to want to sit back, soak this in, enjoy it, and be blessed. She is the author of Making Cancer Fun, and I have her here today to talk to us about keeping life positive, because I know everybody's going through some sort of stress in some sort of way, and I thought, who better to talk to than the girl who wants to make cancer fun? Right, Tara? How do you like that? Oh my gosh, yeah, and it's funny, because I was just talking to somebody this morning about this, how that's, it triggers people. Let me say that, that I've had people very triggered by the, the title of my book or the title of my company, because they're like, wait, what? Um, and I, and I get that, you know, it, it all stemmed from my daughter is a stage four childhood cancer survivor. So there is a, a harsh, horrible, ugly reality of cancer. Uh, and I, I've said over and over again that if Satan had a disease, this is it. Like this is the disease of Satan because it's not just that people die. They die in a horrific way. Um, so it never negates that. It, it did stem from that at that time. I was going through a really horrible domestic violence divorce the same year my daughter was diagnosed. She was three and a half. And my life felt so out of control and everything felt so negative. I mean, it was just one negative thing after another. The insurance company dropped us. You know, I was dealing with courts and um, my a company that I was working for, the owner suddenly dropped dead the same week she was diagnosed and that was put on hold. I mean, it was just one thing after another and all I could see was the negative. And so I made this very conscious choice that, okay, I can't control anything going around for me. I can't control her outcome. They told me she probably was not going to survive. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what they told me early on. Um, and if I could only control one thing, or if I was only going to have a few weeks left with my daughter, I, I was going to make them as fun as I possibly could. And I just embraced fun as my coping tool, really more for me than for her, because it felt like this is the only thing I can control. I can make sure we're having fun. And from that, it just turned into everything was fun we did parties we did costumes we I, I, people talk about a tumor stomping party um, where i had a picture i had her surgeon take a picture of her tumor i took eight hours to painstakingly scrape this tumor out she was under for eight hours cut open and if you've never seen a tumor it's actually the ugliest most disgusting vile thing ever but we i took it to a coffee shop and had it blown up into a giant poster 
And then we made little ones that she got to rip up and stamp on. And we shot the poster with marshmallows and we had a big party and, and cupcakes and people came in from all over the hospital and signed her thing. And it was like, all right, we're going to make this fun. And that really incorporated everything that we did. You know, everything was a theme. Everything was silly. Uh, you know, everything was, she had these implants, they call them uh, Broviacs. They implant them into the chest. They're like IV lines that stay in and you have to flush them and you have to clean them. And uh, they're so that you have to, it's because when you have a kid who's getting that level of intensive care, uh, they're constantly accessing the lines. And so we named them and they, they would fight with each other. Like who was going to get the chemo and it's not fair. It's my turn. And no, it's my turn. And, and she would have to choose, you know, she was in charge. And so we just did these really silly things. Uh, and one of the hospital staff members had commented after they got to know us a little bit and he said, boy, I've never seen anyone make cancer as fun as much as you two. And that's when years later, you know, I, everyone said, you need to write a book. I did not want to write a book. And, and I can share this with you because I know we've had this conversation. It truly was God kept showing up in my life until I would listen. And I think that, you know, everything else in my life, I felt like he had my, he had his thumb on me. Like, I'm not going to put the other pieces of your life together. I'm going to let you spin like this hamster in a wheel until you listen to me and do what I'm calling you to do. And when I finally really just surrendered to that and was like, all right, I'll do this. It's been an exciting and very fulfilling adventure to see where the people that God has led me to and where that's happening. And, and I knew, okay, if I need a title, I just always remembered that hospital member saying, you know, you make cancer fun. I'm like, it's going to be making cancer fun. And uh, it ended up writing a parent, making cancer fun, a parent's guide, it, it, which also has a workbook incorporated in it to really teach parents, how can you take these tools and the techniques and the things that I was doing and incorporate them to your own child's experience. And what's been really wild, Kendra, is that um, it, it, I've had parents who've read it who don't necessarily have children with cancer, but they have some kind of other life-altering diagnosis, right? Whether uh, a friend whose son has epilepsy, another friend who had a cardiac issue, and they're in these hospital settings, and their kids have to have medical treatment on a regular basis. And how do you reframe that experience for a child so that it's not scary, but that it's fun and that it's silly? And my daughter is now 14. She is my, I, she truly is a miracle set kid. I mean, if she is the result of amazing medicine and her surgeon and her nurses, and she's also a result of a lot of prayer. I mean, even one of her nurses recently, we were talking, and she said, Tara, I don't know how that child is alive. Yeah. Like, I was there. I saw that treatment. I saw the treatment that she got that she didn't get. Um, I don't know how she's alive. And I, I just say, well, God, you know, she's, I call her the miracle kid. And um, I really believe she's a walking, living, you know, testimony to, to prayer. But it's been interesting watching her grow up, and now she's 14, and to see how that experience and going through such a horrific time, but reframing it to constantly be fun and positive now shapes how she can go through life and challenges. And so this year, a big conversation we're having is, you know, for a lot of people this year, particularly last year, 2020, and with COVID and the shutdowns and everything, it's the first time that for a lot of people, it really felt like the carpet was ripped out from underneath of them. And life does not look the way that I imagined or the way that I set it up. You know, we sometimes have this false sense that if I do all the things right, I go to college, I get good grades, I, you know, get a good job, all this, that life is supposed to turn out a certain way. And my life is a living testimony that that is not the case. It, none of those things worked out that way. Uh, but for a lot of people, this is the first year that they felt that out of control, right? And, and certainly a parent who maybe this is the first time you've ever had to work at home 
And, and that in and of itself is a, is a learning curve. How do I, I go from being in an office in the structure to now trying to work at home? Much less if you're now throwing in a bunch of kids and remote schooling. And, and I know they call it virtual schooling. I keep calling it crisis schooling because I think there's something very different from somebody like you who had a, a semblance of, okay, we're, do, you know, we're choosing this. Right. right. This is what we're choosing for our family. And there's a control piece of this is what I'm choosing, even if it's chaotic and I'm figuring out it's still my choice versus it being thrust upon you. Um, I, I really feel for parents who have young children, because I, I would probably be like under my kitchen table, like eating donuts, <laughs> because um, I'm not a teacher. There's a reason I didn't pursue that as a profession. Right. And so this is really like crisis schooling under a, an incredible amount of stress. Uh, and and having to keep that together, not just for us, but for our children and uh, navigate through all of that. And so this year has been for people, it's a resiliency muscle, right? Learning how to be resilient, learning how to be mentally strong. And for a lot of people, this is the first year they've had to really exercise that muscle. And, and I would say that if that's the case for you, consider yourself very, very lucky that you've made it this far in life without truly having to exercise that muscle, but also what a gift as a parent because we can teach, we can talk to our children about resiliency. We can talk to our children about being positive. We can, you know, teach them like, hey, this is how you should face crisis in life and, and teaching them how to reframe their experiences. But there's something very much more powerful when we can actually mirror that to them and model that for them and show them what does that actually look like. So I think this year's also been a gift Um for so many reasons on that our children get to learn in real life. What does it mean to be a resilient person? Yeah. What does that look like? Um, and, and I also feel like, you know, I have a 14 year old and if COVID wasn't going on, you know, she'd be at school every day till three o'clock. She'd be out at her clubs, out with her friends, gone on the weekends, going to parties. She's a freshman. So she probably also knows some upperclassmen. I may not like that. Um, so I feel like there's a gift too, that she's kind of been forced to be home with her mom a whole lot, right? Like how many parents feel <laughs> like down. I don't have enough time Slow with my down, teenagers. Everybody. <laughs> right? Like I don't have enough time with my teenagers. And I'm like, well, now I get lots of extra time with her and I'm, I'm cherishing that and I love the fact that really only you know she's only socializing with her little pod because they really haven't been in consistent school to meet 18 year old boys right so I'm like okay this is good you could just hang out with the other 14 year olds so is... I think it's trying to find the gift in whatever the crisis is right yeah that's so funny because um that's actually one of the things I was going to theme this week that's why I said I don't plan my podcast <laughs> Because <laughs> I was going to do count your blessings and try to see Aww. it from a different side, you know, from the the opposite perspective. Yeah. And uh, you hit one that's one of mine because I have a 15-year-old son who's, you know, a little girl crazy. <laughs> like, right, so you keep your 15-year-old son at home. Right? I keep my 14-year-old son right? at home. <laughs> <laughs> We're all a little safer this way. It's okay. We all got to push pause on growing up and, you know, hone into our families and that is a blessing and, and they can learn about relationships by communicating, which, you know, my husband and I, we, um, were friends all the way back to, uh, I met him in eighth grade and we were showing cattle together. But our relationship only bloomed when he went into the army and we letter, we wrote letters back and forth. And so like old fashioned letters, you know, and emails. <laughs> and that was the way we had communicated, but it had built such a strong relationship communicating that way. So learning to communicate in new ways that are not face to face, as much as we hate them right now, maybe they are good. There's things that can be said in a deeper level in that written word 
that can happen and um, develop stronger relationships than if they had just been together flying on emotions in high school. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. What a great, what a great um, inspiration, right? When you see so many marriages in the state of the world and, and how that would develop, that's really beautiful. That That's what I hope for my daughter. Like I already pray for whoever will marry my daughter, mm-hmm. that they're, you know, in a family where they're being protected and, and good values and good communication and respect and that they will be a, a great man for my daughter and that she will be a great woman for them, you know, that she will bring those same things to the table. And it's not that I, I mean, I I joke, it's not that I don't want her, you know, I obviously want her to go out and see her friends and have a life. Um, but I, I can appreciate that she's spending more time at home than she normally would as a 14 year old. And, you know, she'll be leaving for college soon enough. And so this, this year's really been a, in a gift in that way. Yeah. We've been doing adventure days, um, which I love. My adventure days are my favorite. And we just get up and we choose a point on the map and we drive there and just see what the adventure will be, which has been a little hard because some things are closed and not open or whatnot. And she laughs. But, um, you know, my role is it has to be at least two hours away because that gets two hours in the car with her where she has to be like off her phone and talking to her mom. And she kind of, you know, grumbles around it, but I know she secretly likes it. <laughs> right. Right. They do. And that, that's a point. So my podcast has been named for teens. And so, um, because I work with, I've worked with teens my whole life, <laughs> but they, um, they do, they, they will act like they don't like something, but secretly they do. They like it. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. like when you're silly. They like when you're embarrassing. They like when you hug them. They like when you make them talk. They like all of it. They like yeah. it. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and fortunately, again, like, because there's not a whole lot to do, it's having to get creative. You know, I mean, I will say that was one of the gifts when Emily went through um, cancer. It was really before smartphones and iPads and all of that. It was back in 2009. And, uh, How old was she? When she was she... three and a half. Okay. So she was three and a half when she was diagnosed. And, um, you know, because we didn't have all that technology around us, it really forced me to get creative to find ways to entertain a child who's trapped in a bedroom 24 hours a day, right? And not a bedroom in a hospital room. Um, and, and really engage with her. And now I see, you know, that a lot of the hospitals have iPads and I can understand. I mean, I completely understand the, I am just exhausted. I want to give my kid an iPad, Right. Uh, I will say, though, one of the reasons I believe that she and I are so incredibly close is because we had to bond. You know, we mm-hmm. had to be silly. We had to do things together. And that, while I would never wish a circumstance like that on anybody, and if I could take that away from her, you know, I think all parents would be like, you know, I'd take that away from her. Um, however, there it, it, it bonded us in a way that I don't, I know that we would not be as close if we had not gone through that together. And I really think that's a, a huge gift. And that's where that positive of keeping it, you know, keeping things positive and, and reframing and saying, okay, I can't change the picture. I can't change what's going on. I can't change that, but I can change the frame I put around it. I can change what that's going to look like. And, you know, when you told me the title was keeping life positive, I'm a big word person. I love words. This is an embarrassing fact about me. I was the president of the Latin club in my high school. <laughs> so I love root words and the root meaning of words and what they mean. And, and the pos- the word positive comes from, it's from the um, 1520s. And it initially meant uh, that which can be affirmed comma reality 
And I just thought, how powerful is that? That by choosing to be positive, we can affirm our own reality. Yeah. We get to choose the reality, right? Don't you? Well, well, and here's, I guess what? So this is, I just asked you again. This comes from a Christian standpoint because, um, you know, in the Bible, we're told that basically God spoke the world into existence and we're told to constantly guard our tongue and guard our words. And we're made in the image of God. So I believe that we are infinitely more powerful by the words that we say and what we create through our words if we're made in the image of God and that this is how he creates. He just speaks and it exists. So I think that's where my basis of why we use words and we say things without really understanding what that root word meant and what is it that what is the intention that we're putting in the universe. So that's like on a side topic of why I'm very careful. Like even with cancer though, I never said my daughter was a cancer kid. That's a big term. They say cancer kid. I never put that label on her. She was a miracle kid and she had cancer in her, but she was not a cancer kid. So even small things like that about what we speak out. So when you said positive, I said, I'm going to look that up. And I thought, how cool is that? That which can be affirmed reality that we are choosing to create our reality simply by our mindset. You know, I think that there's some Christians who um, I hope just went, Oh, <laughs> because there's so many, you know, there's, there's the, the new agey type of world that kind of just floats on this, like sending positive thoughts and sending, and they're not saying prayer, but I do believe that each of us are claimed by God already. Like we have to choose that. Yes. But God still loves every single person. He is still there for every single person, whether they believe or not. And so that mm-hmm. idea of things that when you have a positive mindset, you can make reality you can make these things happen these things start working for you under god's provision for us but absolutely 100 percent, there is like things like i think that the indians were so quick to and i know you're not even supposed to say that but (laughs) they were so quick to change into wanting our religion and wanting to understand god because they were worshiping each thing individually they were worshiping the tree they were worshiping the sun they were worshiping and so some people are still worshiping life in these type of ways and i see it as they just don't understand god yet you know like and it's a yet like a not yet and that's my evangelistic heart to realize that all people, even when they say positive vibes, I'm not offended. I know that they just don't know they mean God. <laughs> you know? well, it's interesting you say that. I have a very good girlfriend who I adore. She's changed my life in so many ways. Um, and she really works within this um, energy consciousness environment. This is what she does. It's, it's all about consciousness, energy work, manifestation. And I laugh with her all the time because she will say things. And I say to her, you know that's in the Bible. Right. And she's like, really? Right. And I'm like, yes, you think you're all in this, like, consciousness world. I said, but actually everything you're teaching or talking about is biblically based. You just don't know that it's biblically based. And and I will say, I, I do blame, I think as Christians, we need to take responsibility for the reason that is, because people are afraid to open a Bible. They felt judgment from other Christians. Um, they've seen religion, which is, you know, religion is man-made. That is not God made and they've seen that um, I personally, particularly I went through a pretty bad domestic violence divorce and uh, I saw firsthand how uh, my church and the pastor and, and religion how they, it, it can be evil like there can be, you know, just because somebody's a pastor doesn't mean that they are aligned in the spirit of truth, right? And um, so I understand why people are like, I don't want anything to do that and I, you know, I always go back to, I believe there's a judgment, we're told there's a judgment And we're also told that judgment comes from God and we are called to love God and we are called to love our neighbor. And we cannot 
be in a place of loving somebody if we're so deep-seated in judging them. And that if we could come from a standpoint of just ultimately following that love and trust the judgment will come from God, right? Like they will be called. Then I think more people would be open to find out like, well, what is that Bible about? Like, I want to live my life in a way that I don't need to talk about my Christianity, but people who meet me just see enough of the Holy Spirit in me that they want to know about it, right? And I, I, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not a model Christian. I don't, I don't ever want to be, you know, there's a lot of things that people would say, you know, that I, you know, within their judgment. Right. Right. Um, I will say that my biggest thing is I just have a heart for God and I want to honor him. And I feel that he is, he has saved my daughter and there is nothing that I will ever be able to do to repay that grace. And I don't deserve that grace because I know a lot of families who loved their children just as much as I love my daughter and they had fun and they were positive and they did all those things and they lost their child. And there is zero rhyme or reason why I didn't. And I did nothing to deserve that. And, um, you know, and I know that a lot of cancer survivors themselves struggle with that, that survivor's guilt. Like, well, why me? Why was I, you know? And so it's interesting when I wrote my book, I had a hospital tell me that they would not put it in their library because I reference God apparently, I think 68 times in the book. And I, it's interesting. I don't reference Jesus. It's not a Christian book. And in fact, one of the sections talks about how in the self-care for parents, you need to stay true to your faith. And so whether that's you go to a, a mosque or you go to a temple or you go to a church, you know, all hospitals have some sort of chapel, right, with some sort of spiritual advisor. So this is certainly not a Christian book. It is that stay true to your faith. But I do talk a lot about how God was integral in me being able to stay positive and and the trust. Um, and I th- and so I had a number of people say to me, well, you know, you should take God out of your book because you're going to close a lot of doors in particularly in the medical science field. Right. And I really had to, I, I came back and I said, you know, I didn't write the book because I wanted to write the book. I wrote the book because I felt God calling me to write the book. And so if doors are closed in his name, then I will just trust that he will open up other bigger ones in his name. Absolutely. And I'm not changing or taking that out because I can't deny what was important to me. When Emily was diagnosed early on, everyone said to me, you know, oh, God doesn't give you what you can't handle. God doesn't give you what you can't handle. And and maybe you've been told that this year in COVID, right? Well, you know, God doesn't give you what you can't handle. And I know people had well-intentioned. Their heart was in the right place. It felt very hurtful. And the reason it felt hurtful was like, oh, because I'm a strong person, my child gets to have cancer. Mm -hmm. Oh, because I'm strong enough to handle it. My child is the one who has to suffer. And so it actually, I I was very, you know, was a very uncomfortable situation. And a girlfriend of mine said to me, she said, you know, Tara, I heard my pastor say this. God doesn't give you what you can handle. Life can give you what you can't handle. And God allows that so that you have to rely on him. And I thought, well, then God and I are in agreement of what I cannot handle because I cannot handle this, (laughs) but I will rely on him because God can handle this. Yeah. And, you know, whatever's going on this year or how difficult it's been, you probably can't handle it, right? Like, this is a crazy year, depending on where you live. I live right outside of New York. So this time last year was very, you know, March and April. I mean, we were in a full, full lockdown, really before the rest of the country got kind of hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and it probably does feel like I can't handle this. I can't handle this crisis schooling and, and the kids and the job and the, you know, people worrying about their, you know, unemployment and, and 
jobs being cut and all of those kinds of things. And, and I think if we can go back to, I can't handle this, but God can handle this. And I can have faith that that that's going to happen. And then I'm responsible for my mindset because that's where I also believe that like Satan gets a foothold Mm -hmm. because he can't change God's blessings, but he can change our thoughts for sure. Right. And that's why he's called the father of like lies because everything is a lie. And if we can choose to stand against that and be positive and be focused on that, like we just talked about claiming our reality is different, you know, and then modeling that for our kids. But Hey, life doesn't always go the way that we choose or the way that we want, but we can choose how we show up to respond. We can choose. We're going to make the best of this. You know, we're going to choose. We had a, it was, it was pretty horrific. We had a, a fire, um, in our, well, we had a fire in, not in our home, in, in a home next to us. And that, that's not what I was thinking about. We had a, we lost our power for a couple of days. And of course, you know, when you lose power for a couple of days, your, your entire refrigerator now smells like everything was rotted. And I had, you know, all these groceries, um, and we couldn't, you know, we couldn't be at home. There's, it was cold. Like there was nothing going on. And so I said to my daughter, okay, that's fine. We're just going to go do adventure days. And we would just go, cause we had to get out of the house. There was no light. Right? right. And so we would just go and find these adventure days and then like take videos and take photos. And I was like, we can't change the fact that I can't work. You can't do anything. We can't be at home. We can't even take a shower. It's dark, you know, in the dark in the bathroom. We have no food, but we can choose that we're going to go have fun and we're going to just leave the house and go on adventure days and we'll wait for the power to come back on. And I remember the night the power was like, I think three days. And when the power finally came back on, I mean, I, I was like doing a dance in my living room. <laughs> Um, we had, had a fire that it was very sad. Our, our neighbor lost everything in a fire, but, um, we were evacuated because of that and couldn't go at home. And the Red Cross came in and everything and the kids were all upset and they watched the house burn. It was very, you know, it was, it was really horrible. Um, so I said, all right, we're going to go into a hotel. We're going to get lots of like snacky food. We're going to get pizza. We'll find a hotel that has a pool. Um, we're going to make this fun, right? Like you guys can't go home for a couple of days, but it'll be fine. I think we're evacuated for like two weeks. It was crazy. Um, but we're just going to make this fun. And, and that's what I mean about just that reframing. Like our, we're teaching our kids how to show up in life. You know, what are we saying about COVID this year? Are we telling them all the things that they're missing out on and how difficult it is and what they're, you know, you're not getting to do this and it's so unfair and you're missing out on that. Or are we saying, well, you know, it's not the way we expected it to look. It's different for sure. But here's all the good stuff about that. Right. You know, one good thing is I say to my daughter, hey, you know, you and your friends, because you guys are just this little pod together hanging out, you guys are going to be really, really close probably closer than if you hadn't had COVID and you were in school and there were a lot of other kids and you guys were off doing all different activities. Like those friendships may not be as strong and stable as they are now because you're only hanging out with this small group, you know, and that's a gift. Yeah. You know, that's a, a huge gift. And most people don't keep those friendships from middle school to high school. And you guys have really, you know, stayed bonded. Um, so it's, it's looking for, even if it's something very small, I mean, it can literally be, I'm just really grateful that this is not forever. This is a season. This is not forever. Right. This is not, you know, my daughter is funny early on when we had, again, we were outside of New York. There were a lot of people There were a lot of deaths. Um, and so she was hearing about this and everything. And, uh, she was saying to me, she said, mom, it's going to be so cool 
because when I grow up and my husband and I get married, we're going to be able to tell our kids we survived COVID. And like, we'll be like, yeah, you're reading about that in like your history class, but we lived through it and we survived COVID. And like, how cool will that be? You know, because she's never really lived through like a massive historical event. Like they weren't, you know, (laughs) they weren't alive during 9-11. They just read that as like something in the past. So this is like the first big, like I'm living through something that will be like in the Winnipegia, right? And I was like, that's funny that that's your, your, your positive takeaway is that you'll be able to be like, yeah. yeah. Well, that girl is a history mile marking maker with, from cancer to this, like, I, mm-hmm. do you sit back and say, okay, God, so what did you make my kid to be? Like, what does her future look like? How does, how does those type of mama moments happen? Yeah. Oh, I definitely wonder that because my daughter was a, a two-time domestic violence victim. So I was going through domestic violence divorce. Then she gets cancer. And then at that point, the court was still allowing her to see her dad. So she ended up as a second domestic. Like he got another DV with another woman and she was there and got hurt. And so now she had a second DV. And I, I thought, my gosh, this child, by the time she was, you know, four years old, had had this come out. I'm like, boy, Satan really meant to take her down. I, I don't know what God is planning for her life, but Satan had a full-on attack to silence this kid. And, and what's really amazing is I believe that what Satan used meant to destroy her, Satan has used, God has used now um, to bless other people. Yeah. Because, you know, she has spoken at galas and actually she's doing a podcast this weekend. Um, And we'll talk to, you know, other parents. And she and I just did a video for one of her nurses now teaches all of the incoming oncology nurses at their hospital. Like they're transferring from regular nursing to oncology nursing. So she and I did a video for the oncology nurses about like why it's so cool to be an oncology nurse. And so she's getting this voice and this platform um, I don't know. I have no idea where that's gonna gonna lead her. What's gonna happen with that? Um, but it's it it's an adventure to find out. So can uh, I you? Think that's one of the things too. Is it okay yeah. to share her name so we can like follow her someday and be like, I knew about that girl. Do you yeah, keep her name private? I, so her name is Emily. If you go to any of our making cancer fun stuff, you'll see pictures of her. If you go to our Instagram page, you'll see pictures of her. Um, yeah, see, you know, I, I always try to show her before and after photo, like each year when she starts school, you know, because as a parent, I needed that. I needed that hope. I needed that, you know, to see people who were survivors. Um, that was really important to me. There was a huge crash. <laughs> I, just, I heard that. I was like, I was like um, like nobody's screaming yet. I think we're good. I don't, something, they dropped stuff down the stairs. Everyone good? They're like, don't tell mom. Right. I, I literally, there's no noises. So I guess they're good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so you bring up an interesting point and I always try to you know, explain to parents when they don't maybe appreciate how much of a mirror they are for their children. And you bring up an excellent point. You think of the little kid who's running and they fall and they crash to the ground. What is the first thing that they do? They look up to see where is mom and dad. Right. And what they They're do? not crying yet. There's yeah. that split second before there's the crying. They look for the face. And if mom's face looks absolutely horrified, then in an instant, it's like, oh, I'm hurt and I'm going to start crying now. But if mom's like, you goofball, what are you doing? You're running around like Superman. Come on, get up. You're fine. Now, sometimes they're truly hurt, right? And they're crying. But more often than not, if they're not truly hurt, they're like, oh. 
mom said I'm okay. All right. And they get themselves up and they brush themselves off and they, you know, start running again because they're looking to us to say like, am I hurt? Am I not hurt? Am I okay? Is this safe? Is this, you know, do I, do I cry? Do I laugh? Like, I don't know what to do. And they're looking to our face to tell us, you know? And so when my daughter was in the hospital, I wanted my face to constantly be like, this is going to be fine. This is going to be cool. Like we're good. You know, no matter how hard it is, we've got this, we can do this. This will be silly. Um, you know, and, and so she's just learned everything is, is fun. And, um, it, it's a different, it's a different mindset. It's, it's just, and it's a choice. It's choosing. I think that's the big thing is that often, and, and I felt this way, particularly going through my divorce, I felt so victimized by life. And, and then, and there was a reality there. Like I married somebody who was very deceitful, outright had lied to me, had made up careers, jobs, personas, schools, things that didn't exist. I mean, there was a very deep, like very lifetime movie type thing, right? Where you're like, how did you marry this person? Have no idea about their criminal history. It was crazy. Um, and, and I, I had, and I felt victimized, like this person lied to me and they moved me across the country and isolated me and all the psychological abuse and I could be a victim. And there was a day where I had to wake up and I say, no, I chose that. I chose to ignore the red sign, the red flags, whether I realized they were red flags or not. I chose to move across the country. I chose to, you know, marry this person. And whether I was aware of it or not aware of it, um, they did that. And it's not to, I mean, some people are truly victims of horrendous, horrific crimes that they did not choose, right? Like people who were assaulted and abused. I mean, horrific things that you did not choose. So I, I do want to be cautious that I don't want to say like, Oh, you're in that situation because you chose. Like I had no idea what was going on. Right. Um, but I get to choose now right. is this person for the rest of my life going to make me a victim or not? Mm-hmm. Am I going to choose something different? And, and it was a tough that was a tough mental road to kind of come back from Um, because when you have been victimized and you have been abused or you've had horrific things happen to you or life has just had horrible things that were so out of your control, it it is in some ways easier to be like I, and for most of us, right, we didn't deserve it. We didn't bring that on. Even my daughter's cancer. I mean, she could be a victim now the rest of her life, right? I have to wear hearing aids. I have this. I have, you know, like now we're doing, there's fertility issues for long-term cancer survivors and stuff like that and be a victim or be like, okay, you know, yeah, these are the things that happened to me. These are the lessons that I got from that. And it's made me stronger. I I will say the one thing I got from that I thank, I can thank my ex-husband for is I have my daughter, but also if he had not been in my life, I would never realize how resilient and strong I was. And I don't care what happens in life. If you knock me down, I will get back up. Yeah. Um, and I also, I, I went through a season of being so, we didn't, I don't think we've really ever talked about this, being so afraid. I mean, when you have somebody who is, who's out there, who's literally planning how they want to kill you and telling other people about it, it's a scary time. Like there was a scary season, <laughs> right? And and I remember instant, I remember standing in my living room one day after just being so afraid so afraid like constantly my window shut not wanting to get my car being you know watching over my shoulder all the time and I just said you know what I'm done I'm not going to be afraid anymore if this person truly wants to kill me there's not much I can do about it right I mean people track you down in broad light like and kill you like at the end of the day there's not much I can do about it but I refuse to give this person one more day of my life and I think that's really probably served me with COVID is that I think we're also scared in the beginning and also on lockdown. And there was a moment of like, okay, this is reality. 
this is a, a threat. You know, this is, there are people who are dying or they're losing family members, but am I going to stay in fear or am I going to stay in faith? I'm going to be appropriate. I'm going to put a mask, I'm going to sanitize, keeping out of large crowds, you know, things like that. I, I'm not going to put myself at unnecessary risk or my daughter at unnecessary risk, but I'm not going to be afraid. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to walk in fear. And, and that's also so biblically based. God tells us over and over again, do not be afraid because fear is where Satan gets his foothold. You know, and, and fear is never from God. And so I, I can't control the outcome. I can't control whether, you know, I get COVID or my daughter or somebody that I love. But I can choose today that I'm not going to give today away because I'm giving it to fear of something that might happen. You know, and, and that's, I don't know if that's, I don't know that I would say that's positive, right? Somebody well, could say, well, that's a positive, but it's a choice. Well, and it's also just putting God back in control of your life. It's saying like David was attacked. He was constantly, yeah. hide- he, you know, he went through that time of hiding in a cave and being like, my enemies are coming to get me. And he lost all of his, all of his strength, yeah. all of his wisdom, all of his God given, you know, favor yeah. that God had for David fell apart when he decided to be afraid. And yeah. then as soon as he was like, you know what, God, you got my enemies. You got this. I don't, I don't need this. And he changed that mindset to God's. That's yeah. what, when things changed. And he, and it's he conquered the Bible. Interesting you say David, because, you know, I grew up, in, I didn't really grow up reading the Bible or anything. I had one, but I didn't really read it. And it was during the season of my divorce that I really started reading the Bible. And it was the first time I really understood what people said when they, you know, use the word that it's a living word, that it's God speaking to you. I had never experienced that. And it was the first time I was like, wow, God is speaking to me. And it was a lot of the Psalms. I read yeah. all the Psalms. Like if you, and I always notate, like if something's really spoken to me, I notate the date next to it. So it's kind of interesting. Now I can go back to this Bible and, and open up and see from 2008 and 2009, what was it God speaking to me? And so much of the Psalms and what David wrote were, was where my heart was being drawn because yeah. it was just this crying out in like, God, please come in and do something and, and, you know, save me from my enemies and the people who want to harm me. And, you know, there, and that comfort in that. And you realize how, you know, what is it, a couple thousand years later, like we still have those same feelings. Like it hasn't changed. Um, yeah. That's- and also the reminder, you know, if God can show up for somebody in the Bible. He can show up for you. He hasn't changed. Yeah. And, uh, the living word, it has to do with every time you read it. So those things in 2009, they meant something to you then. And sometimes are you reading them? And then you're like, now it means even more because of. Or something that I read back then that came out like a, like a slap in the face. And now I read it and it has like, no, no. Oh, okay. You know? And so sometimes something you're like, wow, that really meant a lot to me then. Now it just feels like words where then it felt like a voice. And that was a, you know, again, you kind of go, well, I'm really grateful that I had to go through that season as hard as it was, because that was the time that I grew in my faith for sure the most. Yeah, I would definitely use those valleys. I would add out there, guys, if you're going through a hard time, the Psalms is for real, for some reason, what God takes you to. But what I realized when I because I journaled the entire Psalms for 10 years. (gasps) Did you really? Yeah. And I actually wrote devotions on them. And um, they've been slowly going out through my through my website and um, I had named it from grumbling to grateful because I realized that David was a complainer, but in the end he always said, but God's still God. And that was his settled heart. I love that. And grateful is a big thing. It's one of the things I talk a lot about. And one of the turning points for me was I started a grateful journal in the hospital. And uh, I'm a big advocate of, of using gratitude. And now I teach gratitude courses and how to practice gratitude and things like that. 
because uh, it was life changing. It, it truly changed everything for me when I focused on that gratitude. So I love what you said from grumbling to gratitude because that's so right. I was just, you know, grumbling about I'm going through this divorce and I'm losing everything and I, you know, my daughter's cancer now and this is happening and all these horrible things that are happening to me. And that shift is life changing. Yeah, I got uh, yeah. I got some takeaways and I want to start there. Um, of things that I took notes of that you were talking about. And so um, the mindset shift, since we're on that, um, I saw this picture once that had a crown sitting on the head and, and it was like, like I'm gods, you know, like on the crown, like the princess oh. of God or the, and it was like, this is not the devil's playground. Like it was yeah. a picture of when you're wearing your crown and remembering your gods, your head and your mind belongs to God. It is not a devil's playground. And that is your mindset control and yours to give back to God, to say, God, you have full authority of my mind and he does not. I love that. It was a powerful image that. when I saw it. I had somebody tell me, um, and again, I don't know how much you or your listeners get into like a spiritual warfare uh, sense. Oh, I'm pretty um, sure I, I, I put everybody okay. into one. Like I'm actually afraid that I put people into spiritual warfare because I come off so <laughs> And well, God I, said I, this. I'm a big believer in spiritual warfare and some personal experiences that I had and, and certainly around my daughter and everything. And so somebody described it. They said, you know, you have as a child of God, you have are given authority over Satan. Yeah. And you don't need to argue that or anything else. And they use the analogy that if you if you lived hundreds of years ago and you were royalty and you were in a carriage and you were traveling across your, you know, country and the king wasn't with you, the queen wasn't with you, but you were there and you were royalty, you were a princess. And you would be able to stand on the ground and claim authority simply because your title of a princess of this of the daughter of the king and people would have to bow to you and listen to you and you would claim respect and authority and you would be able to tell people what to do simply because you would say in the name of the king because you're the princess and you can do that right and do we think of ourselves that way as children of god that i can just stand here and claim authority in the name of jesus simply because i'm a princess in his kingdom and how powerful that makes us again what we speak right? That it's not through me. It's not through my authority. It's terror. It's through Jesus's authority. And I'm given the authority as his child to speak in his name, right? And to speak out against Satan in his name. Um, and I'm given a sword of truth when I claim like my daughter's Bible verse is, is Jeremiah 29 11, because there was one day I was reading it and all of a sudden I realized, wow, this is not God's promise to me. This is not God's promise to Tara. This is God's, it was like, God said, no, 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 you're wrong. This is my promise to Emily. For I know the plans I have for you, Emily, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Emily, and to give you hope and to give you a future, Emily. And I, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's God's promise to my daughter. And I would just pray and pray. And to this day, she knows, she's like, that's my verse. My mom puts it all over my room. <laughs> I read it's written in the corner of her windows and her doorways. I'm like, anybody try to get in here, you better remember God's promise to my daughter. <laughs> you know? Yep, yep. Um, but just claiming that, that using that sort of truth to remind the enemy, like, oh, no, I, I'm given authority in the name of Jesus simply because yeah. I'm a princess. Yeah, just as you were talking, I was just like, amen, sister. This is the fire I want to bring to my podcast. This is the fire I want to bring to the world. This is how fiery I get. You claim it. You're God's. You have authority. There's this little meme that's on Facebook somewhere that I had posted that my daughter had sent me. And it's, um, you've seen Incredibles? No, I know what you're talking about. But no, I haven't seen Okay, it. well, the, the girl who designs the costumes, she's very, like, 
put your act together. Like, you're you're really a superhero. Stop acting like a baby. <laughs> you know, she's very, like, slapped to it. And so um, it's her slapping somebody across the face and saying, put your face on. You're a child of God. <laughs> and my daughter sees me as that way when I talk to people. <laughs> I love that. Well, and it's Well, guys, I am so sorry to cut that off right when the power just started jumping up, right? But there is more of all the takeaways that I got from this conversation. I had taken notes. We continued talking. We talked for over an hour, so I knew I had to split it for you guys or it would be just too much to soak in one day. So this will release again on Monday morning for you guys to soak in right after Valentine's. All the goodness of it. If you want to go back and listen to it back to back again, um, we stop. We start right back to this end of Tara starting with Man, do I love this conversation because she doesn't get to get this God fiery that often because of working in a secular world. So part two is a lot about um, taking God everywhere we go and not taking him out of what we're doing. So oh, I hope that blessed you. I hope you have so many takeaways. And um, go look up Tara Garrity. Support her also. You guys can check out the Making Cancer Fun. And don't forget to go and find me, www.kendradwecarol.com. And you can link to me in all the spaces from there. Have a very blessed time. Goodbye now. Oh, friends, I forgot. I have a special Valentine's gift for you over on my website. Go check it out. Sending lots of loves. Happy Valentine's Day to honor the Lord who loves you and made you perfect. It's called Uniquely Worthy, and I hope you enjoy it.